Welcome to the Aliana Nita podcast, the podcast created to inform, challenge, and empower you. Now let's get down to business. Hi guys, welcome to the Alien and Eda podcast. I'm your host, Alien, and I'm so excited to have you join me for today's show. Today, I have a very special guest on, and her name is Dr. Ross. She is no stranger to the podcast. She was on a couple years back, and she talked about mentorship. And today, we're going to talk about microaggressions in the workplace and just microaggressions in the world. So, I think that this is a really good podcast to learn about um, a black woman's experience in the workplace and just in the world in general. And I think that anybody can take this information and learn from it. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's podcast. If you want to email me, you can email me at show at gmail.com if you want to follow me on social media i am eliana nita on all of the things and so i hope you guys enjoy this podcast let me know if you do all right let's get into the show hi guys welcome to the eliana nita podcast i'm your host Elian, and today i have a very very special guest she is no stranger to the podcast you guys know her as pr the builder i know her as mom but officially she is Dr. Pam Ross and we are going to discuss a subject entitled the unfair expectations. Today we're going to tackle microaggressions. So doc would you come in and introduce yourself? Well thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to this table. I feel extremely extremely honored uh, to have this conversation with you. You know I've worked in um, the nonprofit sector but also in for-profit sector I'm a whole grown woman, as they say, as I'm <laughs> and I'm a black woman. And so I've been mm-hmm. in um, various contexts with uh, various types of people and also serving on boards of directors in uh, on several different organizations. And um, for some reason, I have been blessed enough to be the breaker in many of the arenas where God has placed me, which means I'm the first person who looks like me to come in the room or sit in that office or sit in that seat or be on that board. So um, I'm just extremely, extremely happy to be here. And of course, I am a student of culture. I love to examine why we do what we do what our norms are, where did they come from? And not everything is founded in righteousness. So let's fix it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we have a lot of fixing to do. (laughs) It starts with having talks like this. Mm -hmm. You can't fix it that you don't address. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. So I want to tell you this story. I want to share with you and the audience this story that I experienced at work. Um, I have worked because of the industry that I work in, um, the industry is mostly white male dominant. And so, um, women that get an opportunity to rise to ranks, um, are usually white. And if you're black and you rise to ranks in a STEM based program, which I'm a chemist. So for me, I would have to actually start my own lab 
and work my way from there. So it's very rare that you would see a black head of anything in a company that's white male owned or white male dominant. So I came, um, we had a new hire um, and her hair when she interviewed was rainbow colored. And then, (laughs) yeah. Oh yeah. She came, it was rainbow colored. And um, by the time she got the job, it was blue and then the next week it was purple and then the next week it was and then you know it was so funny because around Christmas she dyed her hair uh red and green and so it was just all of these fun really vibrant colors and it was celebrated they hired her they liked her and it was no questions asked about whether or not she could do the work whether her hair was ghetto whether they thought it was great or whatever but when i locked my hair now i I had been with the company for six years when Mm -hmm. i finally decided to lock my hair and they had so many issues with uh, me having my hair locked and I got a lot of flack for it and so I what feel that, like what did that flack look like I mean what did what did it what how did it um present itself to you because it can be a little sideways it can be indirect oh yeah for sure so um first everybody wanted to touch my hair it turned into <laughs> I turned into a pet and zoo so I, oh, I was oh people, people please don't do that yeah yes so I was a pet in zoo, like, oh my gosh, how could you get, how did you get your hair like this? Now you, you keep in mind, I work in, um, a co- I work in the company and particularly my lab. I'm, I'm probably one of the only four black people in the building and two out of the four black people work, um, at night. So the other girl works during the day with me. So here I am and they're like oh my gosh look at your hair can we touch your hair how did you get it like that oh your texture you gotta it must be nice and coarse and then even upper management when I was um looking to get a promotion they their whole thing was like oh but the parents have your appearance have to be up has to be up to part and we work in a lab with dangerous chemicals all the time so nobody is really dressing up ever and the thing that they most was referring to what I found out later was that they was referring to my hair because they didn't believe that my hair was professional professional (laughs) yeah and they they didn't know how clients would respond to my hair being its texture or being styled in a certain way and so for black women especially for black women we often face this microaggression of am I up to part? So it, it wasn't about whether or not I can get the job done. It wasn't about whether or not I knew my stuff or if I had the experience to get the job done. It is like I've often found in the workplace that for black women, it's never about your work first. It's always about, are you the full package? Do you talk correct? Or do you sound like a white person? So if I pick up a phone and I call you, do you sound black? Um, do your hair, do your hair, uh, fit the standard? Are you, um, are you, uh, are are you the angry black woman? Can you communicate yourself without being, you know, the neck rolling, eye pop, you know, finger popping, eye rolling, that kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. can you fit this perfect mold? And so for white women, I've noticed that they can be subpar and fit the, like fit the, I guess the category for them and it'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. And so that's a struggle. I've always struggled with that. And I, I was like, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are 
honestly, as a black person, you don't really ever get judged for your work. And every time I've ever had like a, a review of any kind, I can get all excellence on the work that I do, but it's like, oh, you didn't come in and speak to everybody. Well, I had 6,000 things I had to get done. Yeah, I couldn't go around and say, hi, I spoke to the people that I, I ran into, but I wasn't going around the lab just speaking to everybody, you know, right. or oh, when, it's proof that you're not unfriendly. Yes. Yeah. So I know yeah. I'm chatting, but you t- tell me how you feel about that or if you had experiences like that in, in your workplace. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, um, let me uh, first of all tell you how I feel about that. I, it really comes from a love of people expecting you to make them comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're putting their discomfort, um, um, they're putting their discomfort on you to fix rather than ask the internal questions and do real work in their own souls about why am I uncomfortable with this person? And so you come into the room and you're looking different from differently, or you have a different look than what they're accustomed to. That's not how my family looks. My mom, I didn't grow up around people who look like that. Plus Mm -hmm. media has already given me um, some expectations that I've gobbled up like fresh baked cookies, right? So now I have these expectations that you're going to be angry or, or different equals bad rather than different equals different. Isn't that interesting? So yes, I'm looking at you and I'm expecting you to prove to me um, that you're not a bad person, that you are a friendly person rather than, um, rather than you, me taking you at face value the way I would anyone else. And so the idea that someone with rainbow hair is considered professional and then mm-hmm. if you want your hair, which is for those of us that maybe you're not black, maybe you're listening to this and you're wondering what on earth, that's a term, lock your hair is a term that we use when we were talking about be- the beginnings of dreadlocks. So you, you, your hair is in coils, right? So my hair is in coils right now. So your, your hair is in coils. So first of all, the fact that you would assume that my coils are not as professional as um, uh, the happy unicorn in the lab, right? So (laughs) (laughs) it is because you're judging your, 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 you are, you are culturalizing professionalism based on your personal culture, not a professional culture, your, your personal culture. So if you want to, so if you want to companies like that, really what they need to do is just, let's just redefine what professionalism is. Is it is it coming into the is it coming into the room and having to greet everyone? If so, then why isn't everyone doing it? Right. Right. So the idea is I can't be the the disadvantage is for for folks who are listening and they're wondering like well, well what's the problem? The problem is the disadvantage that you have as a black woman, as a woman of color is that they want you to be something you can never be. Right, judging you on a scale that you can never hit. And that scale is based on their comfort level. So you've got, I was on the phone with a friend of mine and he said, is it racism or is it friendism? And I said, but if all of your friends are of your race, then isn't it both? Right. Right. So I don't know anyone who looks like that. And now I'm going to treat you like a a museum 
it's okay to ask questions, but it's not okay to make assumptions about my character. Absolutely. I mean, I got asked, did I, I mean, how can you wash it? How do you keep it? How do you keep your hair clean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I mean, what do you think I am? Like, right. you know, it's just. I'm not it's, asking it, you about what's going on with your body. Right. And the, the right. idea, oh, I don't know if clients would, would really, really like that. Why? Because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, I think one of the things, the best things you can do for you, for you, and the best thing I, I've done even for me is to bring to the table a uh, real conversations about what is it that's making you uncomfortable. And I've done it in a very compassionate way because I'm going to treat it like it's a disease because racism is a mental illness. I said mm-hmm. that racism <laughs> is a mental illness. I agree. And yes, so it is. It is. it's a mental illness. It terrorizes your brain. And if you, if you go with it, it'll cause you to terrorize people. And so I've, I've sat down with people and said, what is it that's making you uncomfortable? And they, they have a very hard time articulating it. Mm-hmm. Why would you think that about me? Um, because, uh, and so, and, and, and when people begin to articulate their prejudices out loud, whoo, then they discover oh, yeah. That, then you you ever said something, and by the time it left your mouth, you're thinking to yourself, that is the stupidest thing I've ever said. So by the time they get it out of their mouth, they're thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever said. Why mm-hmm. do I think like that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing that I've experienced, like one of the hardest things that I've experienced, especially working in white spaces, is mm-hmm. when um, when white women, is particularly when white women are wrong, they go and they and this is something that I despise, Dr. Ross. I absolutely despise it. It makes everything in my boil blow, uh, boil mm-hmm. uh, because white women will like, they'll be wrong and they'll make accusations or when they want to be right and have people attack you, they start crying. And it's like, oh. what? <laughs> like, has, has somebody ever did that to you? Yes. And let me tell you why it works. Let me tell you why it works. Because once again, I hate to blame everything on media because, you know, we work, we, we both work in media and I love, mm-hmm. I love media. But, but, but the damsel in distress doesn't look like me. No, the damsel in distress doesn't look like me. And so there is something in the heart of every man and we love our men, but there's something in the heart of every man that wants to be the solution and be the hero and come to the rescue and fix the problem. I believe God made them that way. I'm not Mm -hmm. mad at you brothers for being that way, but here's the situation. This is why there's disparities in medical care as well. Daughter, I'm going to tell you if someone who looks like Sally I'm sorry if your name is Sally, but if someone mm-hmm. looks like her and she's crying, what's going to happen is the men are going to say, oh, let's see how we can fix this. Yes. How we can fix this, right? Oh my gosh, poor thing. This is why when, when if she's in the hospital and she has a pain, well, what's going on? But if someone that looks like me is in the hospital and has a situation, I better have an advocate with me. Mm-hmm. My, my, the, my pain, there's a, there is a lower level of empathy. From black women. Indication is you're stronger, Mm -hmm. athletic. You can handle it. You're tougher, and that. But actually, the truth of the matter is, I'm just as feminine. I'm just as soft. My heart aches and breaks just like everybody else's. You know, Mm -hmm. and the if I if I tell myself that you're tougher, I can treat you any kind of way. Right. And and I dehumanize you. I can lower my level of empathy, and now I can treat you however I want to treat you, and say you can take it. You're okay. 
it's so true. Like <laughs> I've I feel like um especially with me because I'm tall. I'm five ten. I'm considered tall for a woman, so I'm five ten. And people often assume that I'm the big black girl. So because I'm very straight faced or when I'm doing when I'm especially when I'm very focused on work and I'm trying to get a lot of stuff done, Mm -hmm. people often make an assumption. You're mean, you're aggressive. And I'm like, like even in communication, like I have to practice. I find myself before I have to go talk to a supervisor or anybody, I have to go in the washroom, center myself. And make sure that I'm not communicating aggressively. I try to make sure that I don't. I talk a lot sometimes with my hands. So I try to make sure that I keep my hands to myself. I keep a distance. Even before social distancing was a thing, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it seem like I'm I'm walking up on you. I'm going to roll up on you because I've seen times where I've gotten up and I might have been in a rush to get somewhere or in a rush to get to something and people are like oh my gosh she's she's running she's 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 moving really fast or very aggressively and they assume that I'm angry or I'm mad or I'm about to do something and I'm like why is it that I have to move very slowly and put my hands in my pocket and you know like I have a higher up right now that cuss like a drunk sailor she's the second yes she's the second in command in our building so it's it's another guy over her who's the boss of everybody and then it's her and she's the boss of everybody under her and then it's the supervisor who who is my direct report Mm -hmm. she will come in there and cuss at you and yell at you and I mean I'm talking about red face finger pointing like really mean and aggressive bark like she barks at you she doesn't talk to you she talks at you and in all of that, we all just see her. Oh, that's just how it is. Well, that's how they see her. I don't right. go for that. I've had to tell her several times. I don't respond to that well. But yeah. and for her, it's and okay. You normalize a dysfunction. Yes. Or if now, you, if, you normalize bad behavior, it becomes a dysfunction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, if I did that, they would fire me because so I would be in support. If you did that, you'd be in jail. For sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh <laughs> we were afraid for our lives. <laughs> yes. They would tell, they would say she was aggressive. She was around chemicals. She was trying to throw acid on us. I mean, it it's ridiculous. Like the kind of stuff that we have to go through when and I've seen her communicate differently to white people. Mm-hmm. She only really gets aggressive like this. Like, and I and I had, to, I mean, honestly, it, it's a heartbreaking conversation to have to have. But I had to tell my supervisor, I was like, I know you guys, because I'm black, you assume that I come from people that talk aggressive. I come from people that cuss and fight and all of that stuff like that. I was like, that's not my background. My mom and I can hold a very aggressive conversation without ever using anybody's cuss word. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't talk like that. That's just not who we are. That's not our vernacular. So I find it so interesting how we have to like they have these preconceived notions and it and it varies from white person to white person mm-hmm. because if you have one white person that maybe they had a a black brother-in-law or something like that they see things a little differently mm-hmm. or if you come from people that just only been around all white people they see things differently like if if their grandfathers or or uh you know their ancestors own slaves they look at black people you know so it's like who like you don't know what to think about who and who think what dicey to navigate 
um, just in and out of different rooms and settings. It makes it, and you have to be extremely savvy. And so yeah. you're, you're going to, yeah, you have to walk in, you have to walk in, in and out of these settings, be extremely observant and be able to size up situations very quickly. One of the things I tell you, one of the things I love to do is defuse people. If they are upset, having a fit because they think that's what it's going to take to get me to move. I'm the first thing I want to find out is, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm okay. Rah, 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 rah. They're screaming and having a fit. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to lower my voice if I have to come bring it all the way down to a whisper. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not going to engage because what people are, what the, what the scenario is calling for is for you to match that level of aggression, and then you'll, you'll wear one label and they'll wear another. They'll say, "Oh, she just had a moment," but for you, it'll be that's, that's how you are. Yes, you'll get labeled that permanently. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah, yeah. they won't invite you to the table. They they will. I mean, honestly, I've literally worked with people where they will dissuade the manager in one way to get them, you know, so that they can have the upper edge to make it seem like, oh, well, she's just mad and she's just aggressive and she has no reason to be that way. So we're not going to invite her to the table. We'll, we'll we don't need her opinion. We don't need what she has to say. And I've seen that cost my company millions wow like it has cost them in in um customers or clients rather it has cost them when they bought instrumentation and like in science nothing is cheap we talking wow. upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah you buy this stuff you can't return it you you're stuck with it it's stuck in your lap you don't have space you know so it costs money when you don't bring the right vo- voices to the table or you don't get a well-rounded opinion Mm-hmm. And most of the time when black people are left out, especially women, you lose a huge chunk of information because we're in the trenches. You keep us there. Right. And so we know what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. So you think about it like, you know, I've had the fortunate um, opportunity to be able to um, volunteer with you and we've worked with massive crowds. Yeah. And so you know what the people need, but people at the higher end, don't know they're just making assumptions so they make all these changes and it's frustrating for the people that have to do the stuff at the bottom that have because to you don't know our experience communicate and facilitate those changes mm-hmm. yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely but if you're going to exclude me from the conversation because of my gender my gender or ethnicity you're going to miss out on the level of genius that i bring to the table and you know, there have been hundreds of studies done about uh, companies that have diversity on the higher levels make more money. I mean, you don't just look good. You don't just get to hang the Black Lives Matter um, uh, banner in your front window. No, you literally make more money because when you bring diversity to the table, you're going to widen your audience. You're going to connect more to, to different types of people. And it's not even that you bring a black person to the table because they can, they're going to give you the, the inroad and the, the uh, cultural advantage into black people. You're going to bring them to the table because they have a different human experience. Right. They're not just introducing you to brown dollars and black dollars. They're actually giving you a different human experience so that you're, it makes everybody at the table smarter. We're better right when you when you've got a uh, greater diversity but if they're going to leave people out and the world outside of your boardroom is changing the world <laughs> yep. 
say that. The world outside of your boardroom is changing. There is a rumble. There is a shaking going on globally, not just in America, globally. And so if you're going to, if your boardroom does not look anything like, you know, I've worked at churches where they're, I mean, the congregation is 80 to 90% black and brown people. And the pastoral staff is 100% white. And that, right. and that, that kind of thing still happens today. And you could, you see it all across America. Your, your church, 70, 80, 90% black and brown. And yet your pastoral staff, your leadership staff is 100% white. You're not going to serve those people to the greatest capacity because your, you, your human experience is too narrow. Mm-hmm. It's way too narrow. And even if you look at, I know I'm getting real churchy here, but if you look Go ahead. what Jesus did, his ability to listen to women, children, non-Jews. I mean, I, I said Jesus was the, ori- the original social advocate, okay? So he was, <laughs> he believed in diversity, diversity of voices. And so this, these, this, these microaggressions, what they're designed to do is give you bumps back into um, be like us or we're not going to hear you. Right. And, and, and Ailey, I'm going to tell you, I understand the necessity for assimilation. If I were to move to France right now, it would do me well to learn to speak French. It would mm-hmm. do me well to learn to um, understand how to order from a menu, how to go in and out of a business setting in that in that country. So trust me, I understand assimilation, but I will never look like a Frenchman. I won't. I won't look like that. And so when I, when I'm talking about um, assim, assimilation. You learn the game. You learn the language. We know we're brown women. We can speak several types of English, right? I tell people all the time, I'm black mixed with black, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like you can, there's several different types of black. So I speak several mm-hmm. types of black, several different types of white. But, but at the same time, I can only assimilate to a point because at the end of the day, I'm still going to look like me. Mm-hmm. And so even though I know how to negotiate, um, I know how to articulate, uh, even though I know how to do all of these things, I can administrate, do all that stuff. If you're still turning the volume down on my voice because of the way I look, you're going to miss out. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not not anti-assimilation, but don't ask me to change my hair unless it's the standard of the entire corporation. If it's not the standard of the entire corporation, you're going to have to explain to me some things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Or make assumptions about my workload, what type of workload I can carry um, because of my ethnicity. Nope. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, since you mentioned workload, I want to tell, tell you a story and I want to share with the audience this story um, about my return back to work. So I mentioned in previous podcasts that I was suffering from COVID-19 and I just finally got the release after being off of work for three weeks to go back to work. I tested negative. So I was, I'm not shedding anything and I feel a little bit better. Still not 100%, but I'm back at work. I returned to work. My, uh, the test that I run, my coworkers was trying to manage while I was away. It took several people to do one person's job, which is a statement in itself. Yeah. And so here I am doing um, my work at, in, at this high level of capacity. 
And it took two people to do one of my tests. And for me to be gone on a Saturday, it took three people to feel one person. So you see what I'm saying? Like even the imbalance in that workload says a lot. So um, uh, as I'm away, I have my own space where I work in my lab. They destroyed my lab. It was like the garbage can was sitting right there. They threw everything on the floor and missed the garbage can. No. I come back to reagents expired. I have to, they broke one of my instruments, which I had to figure out to repair. So here's the interesting thing. They work, because of COVID-19, we had to like stagger our shifts. So I was forced to go to midnight, to work for the midnight as a woman. So nobody cares about my state, my safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I'm working from four to midnight, which means by the time I get to work, I can't call tech support and ask them to walk me through a process of how to fix this instrument. I have to figure it out alone. They work on days and I've been gone for three weeks. They have more than more than enough time to call tech support to get the instrument back up. Nobody did. So here I am stuck trying to figure out what they trying to, first of all, understand what they did, figure out the problem and then get the problem corrected. Yeah. So in the midst of getting, cleaning up my lab, putting away samples they didn't put away, making up new reagents, all of this stuff is very labor intensive. I finally get the instrument back up. I go over to get the second instrument going, the computer crash on that instrument. Now I'm still down one instrument. So I am working to catch up work that was due last the Thursday, the previous Thursday. So here we are on Monday. I'm back for two days, one, two, just two days. And I get a nasty email from our ops manager telling me how we're behind on several jobs and how it's my fault and how they wanted me to catch up with all of this stuff. I mean, she goes down a list of things she wants me to do. All while knowing I'm still not 100%. And I wasn't at the time when I had COVID-19, not only did I have it, my mom had it and my brother. Yeah. So I have two two significant family members that's close to me that's sick as well. And my mom is still sick. So I'm like, hey, I don't know what you guys expect out of me. And I mean, the email was nasty. It wasn't, Elian, we know you're trying or anything like that. Now, keep in mind, my computer is down on my one instrument. It's a white guy that's supposed to be fixing this instrument. It should have took him a day to replace a computer and re- and put on soft and put software back on it. It's it, we're recording this podcast on a Sunday. To this day, right now, that instrument is still down. Nobody is telling him because she doesn't have her second instrument. She can't get all these jobs done, and we're falling behind right. because you you're not sticking to it or getting this instrument or ensuring that this instrument works. Everybody's yelling at me saying, you need to get this done. You need to get this done. And it's such an unfair expectation. Now, and I just told you, it takes two to three people to replace me. Right. At any given moment. And yet, and still, I can't catch a break from coming back to, from being behind, from them being behind on work to me, not even having a full, a full deck, honestly. Like if I'm, I'm 50% down, right. I can't run from a flipping deadly disease how about that yes <laughs> no, we're not even talking about I'm talking about like the work situation itself I'm not telling you how I feel I'm not telling you how my body is adjusting how I have you know I, I dealt with when I had the when I had all of the symptoms I had all of the symptoms I couldn't even breathe yeah and it was like nobody is like well let's let's just give her a week to get acclimated 
they was like you back we want you to you know get da, 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 da. and I'm like what do you expect from me I yeah. am not I'm I'm a human being and that is the thing that that's more it's so infuriating about microaggressions mm-hmm. is that they just don't see you as human they just mm-hmm. don't understand that there are some things that you're you're able to do and there's some things you just can't and I mean even honestly if they would have just took a look at just the work just the work in itself and all of the stuff I had to do to catch us all the way back up even get us to the point where stuff was due the next day says a lot yeah you know and it's like I don't know it's it's frustrating to me as as a black woman and knowing that it stems from race because there's a white guy that has a hand to play in this and mm-hmm. he's not he's not working he's not getting you know like he's the he's my main source to get my instrument back up and going he's not getting his job done therefore I can't get mine done yeah his and job first mine second nobody seems to notice that part or care about that part and so what you're getting is the the uh you're getting the splash of off of their fear so they're so afraid that you're not going to get your stuff done well we're just going to we're going to press her and push her and their the the expected response is okay okay I'll do more and <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah the, the the expected response is that that out of fear because that, what you're getting is it sounds like uh, this email is full of fear and it's, and I'm, I'm going to use manipulation to get you to basically abuse yourself, abuse your schedule, not take breaks, you know, don't sleep. Yeah. Well, come, I'm, you know, I already pushed you to midnight. I already, I already did all that stuff. And so now I'm just, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make you afraid not to, um, uh, not to overwork yourself rather than look at the reality that, Hey, we're in a pandemic and you're actually going to get better work out of this particular employee with more compassion. But if I don't see you as I would any other woman, and if I if I don't see you as that, then I'm not going to treat you with compassion. I'm no. just going to treat you as someone that I need to produce. So I'm going to press, press, press. And uh, no, it's not cool. It's not all right. No. And then what happens mm-hmm. is then you've got to be the one to point out uh, very calmly because you can't get upset. They can get upset. You can get upset. No, you cannot. Two things I could never be. I, I could never be late and I can never be loud. No. And uh, um, um, uh, I, have a, I had a former coworker. She's white. She used to say, oh, well, I'm late and loud all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you all know, have the, the microaggression of, you know, if I come in late, mm, the black girl's late. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's lazy. She doesn't want to get stuff done. Isn't that? And I think, and that's the, and I feel like that's the un, um, like that's the underlining theme of. Oh yeah, I got that You're yeah. lazy. You, you're not getting work done, and it's like actually I am getting a lot of work done with the hand that I'm dealt. Yeah, your perspective is off, and I'm I'm actually getting a whole lot done, and the fact that it that you and here's the deal underneath all of that there is a truth that they know you're the type of person who get who delivers and you get it done. You come through every time. And their panic is that, is she going to do it this time? Is she going to be able to, it, because the fact that if you, if you're out recovering from COVID and it takes three people to do your job, um, unfortunately for a lot of employers, the person they should be celebrating is the person they're abusing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the person- is- 
student is bad business. Racism is bad business. Gender bias is bad business. And, um, and what happens is you're the person that's really coming through and delivering for you, you, you end up abusing. And then the person you're covering for, uh, is costing you more money because you're paying exactly. more and they're delivering less. Absolutely. That mm-hmm. is the exact issue. Yeah. That is the exact issue. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they have these, these, uh, these just unfair biases towards us. And this is the unfair, unfair expectation that, we have to play by their rules. We don't know what the rules are. Uh, we can't be ourselves. We have to silence ourselves. We have to change ourselves completely. We have no freedom. We have no autonomy. We just have to be robots. And it's basically like a plantation ma- mindset. Like mm-hmm. you just come here and you do as we say. And if you don't do exactly what we want, we'll we'll beat you. Mm-hmm. And for me, the biggest struggle for me has always been, especially with this week, is like, I found, I literally, while I was praying, I just cried because I'm like, God, I feel like I am always giving more than a hundred percent. I can't, I don't have the opportunity to go any less than a hundred percent. And here I am really struggling with health and really trying to get myself reset and back to, back to business as normal, as normal as it can be. Mm -hmm. And I I have no advocate. I have nobody that's coming to the table to say, hey, she's only been here two days. Right. Look at all of the stuff that she has got done and all the stuff she had to get done just to be able to get right. to this point. Yes. Let's, let's and, just and take it easy. Because that is the, the current truth, you've got to learn now how to advocate for yourself. And I mean, unfortunately, and still a lot of industries and, and science is one of them because there has there has yet to be significant breakthroughs. So looking for someone to represent you. Um, and, and, and when I say a representative, I'm not even talking about someone who looks like you because mm-hmm. someone could be a white male who just wants his company to thrive, survive, make money. Uh, and that that person could say, I'm going to advocate for her. I'm going to mentor her. I'm going to uh, speak up for her in the spaces where she is not. I tell people all the time, I don't need you to speak up to me, speak up for me when I'm in the room. I need you to speak up for me in the places where I am not. And so until you're until the industry uh, really reaches a place where people are comfortable saying that and not even I won't even say comfortable. Quit waiting to be comfortable to do what's right. Do it. Right. Right. That's what that's what's got us in this situation. Now, people are you're uncomfortable having these types of conversations and they're just going to have to do it. Be uh, be courageous enough to do it where your comfort runs out. Your courage should kick in. And so so what we've got to learn to do and what what women in your position have to learn to do is how to advocate for yourself from the perspective of their values. So you can't come in advocating saying, I'm only human. I'm a woman, just like Sally and Karen. I'm, they don't care about that. But no, you can they don't even see you like that. They don't even see you like that. And it's not necessarily, we're not friends. You're not my golf buddy. I'm not trying to re-educate you. But I am going to advocate for, for myself from your value, uh, um, from your vantage point, which means I'm going to show you this is, this is, what I've produced for you in these two days. And this is, I've done it while recovering from an illness and I had to recover my physical space and I'm down on equipment. And so if we can learn to be objective and a a part of winning at this game is being objective because sometimes we feel like people don't know what they're doing. And I really believe that now this is my opinion. 
80% of them know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what they're doing. And so I'm, I'm, they know exactly what they're doing. So what I do is, I've, as I've learned how to advocate for myself is I have to come in and, and I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm not going to dishonor you. And I'm not, I'm going to, but I cannot shut up because of your fears. Mm-hmm. You, just because you're afraid of me does. And I actually should be more afraid of you. Absolutely. And so when people, they overreact to every move and then that overreaction is designed to cause you to become smaller and smaller and more and more silent until you become insignificant, even in your own eyes. And that's a dangerous place to be. But if you learn to advocate for yourself, do it through objectivity, remind them of what, hey, this is why we're even here. And this is what I'm helping you achieve. Right. So, mm-hmm, absolutely. And then, well, there's always... you can always leave and branch out and that's the that's the thing like I feel like um is the frustration with being a black employee in a in a white dominant space and even honestly being a woman in black in black male dominant spaces it's it's difficult and it's hard and you you it's always that that fight about guys I'm doing what's right it's not about that I'm right it's about doing the right thing it's about and right and and I'm going to express if a guy is expressing his feelings about something he's passionate if a lady starts expressing her feelings about something she's emotional mm-hmm. and so I have to use their language and say I'm very passionate about this my heart is really into this particular project. I'm going to I'm going to be very honest with you about this. And so, I have to on purpose set my own plate and don't and and control my own narrative. And don't I don't apologize for being passionate about something. And right. say, hey, you know I'm going to I am I am going to um uh I'm going to follow my directives and I'm going to do whatever project it is I'm working on. However, I I do want to let this be said for the record and I will express this is my this is what this is the direction I think we should be going on this. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> strong leaders and um and I'm one of them, but I tell you what, I have had I've had to learn you have to advocate for yourself from an, an from an objective point of view and um that idea of doing what's right because it's right. And calling people when um, there seems to be a disparity here that I'd like to bring to your attention because I know we value doing it right. Mm-hmm. And now what I've done is call our corporate values to the table. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's so very important because here's the thing that um, with my particularly, particularly with my company, because we've been bald and sold and bald and sold and bald and sold. Oh, yeah. We so have really. Cultural uh, tornado. Yes. Yes. Within the last three years, we've been bought and sold twice. And I've been there for nine years. So we've at least had a good six to seven different owners. Yeah. From since and I've been there for nine years. So it's it's pretty rough. So for us, you know, we don't really even know the culture. We, you know, like even trying to figure out who's in charge of HR is a huge thing. So it's just a whole cultural thing. and. It's it's pretty rough 
for us. And so, I, I mean, like this conversation for me was so necessary because I feel like so many people don't understand. And like, sometimes you'll, you'll be facing microaggressions and don't even understand that you're facing them. You don't no. know that this is what they're doing. No. And even, we'll even just trying, to say, we'll be trying to climb up a ladder that somebody's squirting oil on. Right. You're wondering why is it so hard for me? And it looks like everybody else is doing fine. Right. Why do I feel like I'm struggling to um, uh, meet a standard. I, I was so much smarter than this when I was outside of here. How right. This, yeah. You feel like something's wrong with you and it's not. It's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I felt that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the last company I was with, I was highly celebrated. And it was like, to go from that to this, it was like, wow. Strong psychological <laughs> warfare. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I, I mean, honestly, like my heart, is, at the, especially with this time where everybody's eyes are starting, well, seems to be opening up at once, like, even, you know, I've seen something interesting and this is like way crazy off a topic, but I've seen that the Band-Aid company are actually starting to make Band-Aids for brown colored skin. And like it's funny. Yes. How long have they been making Band-Aids? You know, and like you just figured out that the rest of the world is not pale. Yeah. So it's like, it's or it doesn't so... matter. Yes. I figured out that it matters because it didn't matter before. Because whatever the dominant culture is, the, the assumption is you have to be like us. And so there's a difference between assimilation and abandoning who you are. I, under, I understand you want people to assimilate to corporate culture, American culture, whatever, all that stuff. I understand that the majority of culture, I understand that. But the idea that you're going to allow people to feel like an outcast, you're going to allow people to be marginalized and feel insignificant. It's, yeah. it's good. It's not cool. And it's bad business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's horrible business and it's oh. horrible practices just as people, because as a people in general, we have to evolve. We have to get used to seeing other faces and other, um, and making room for other people at the table. Um, I yeah. follow this, this very eye opening, um, Instagram account called pull up or shut up. And basically what they caught, what she did was she's an owner of a beauty company and she called out every brand that put up a a blackout Tuesday post or black lives matter post. Mm -hmm. And she was like, we want to see your numbers on a corporate level. We understand that you have black employees that's like in your stores or that's a clerk. I'm talking about at your executive level, at your C-suite level. We want to know how many black people work in that space. And right. you will be amazed. It's not just beauty companies. I'm talking from Adidas, Nike, oh, yeah. you name it. They Some companies have zero representation. Yes. None. And you wonder why when you, as a black person, you can't go in to find a, to find a foundation shade or you can't go in to find something that, that works well for you in your setting or your body build. You know, like even with clothes, how like, you know, you might have a black girl that's more shapely, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, wide hips or small top. You know what I'm saying? Like all of those things matter. And and you wonder why you don't find clothes that fit you or why, like when Victoria's Secret came out and was like, yeah, we don't make clothes for plus size women. We never intended to do so. So like you, you figure you, you're starting to, we're starting to put the dots together because there's no representation on the top end. There's right. no one advocating for people at the bottom. Right. And that's that's the 
the hard thing that I think that we're all starting to realize is like we've been really pouring dollars and supporting people and working in companies that don't have our best interests at heart. So now we're in the space of like, all right, it's time to either uh, for them to pull up and shut up or shut up and say, we really advocate. We're going to start inviting black voices to the table or we're going to have to just really start doing our own thing. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that it's just that kind of season we're in. So do you have anything else you want to add, Doc? You know, I just want to encourage, listen, if you're a woman, if you're a woman of color, if you are what whatever the, you know, whatever your situation is working in a corporate environment, um, a technical environment, um, a nonprofit environment, you have got to learn that it's okay to advocate for yourself. One of the one of the things that uh, I also want to encourage people do not get in a dysfunctional relationship with your workplace where it's abusive, but you're kind of enabling it. You're making excuses for it. And even if you want to like Google some of the symptoms of what a codependent relationship looks like, I think some people are in codependent dysfunctional relationships with their workplaces where we overlook things that we know are wrong, just bad business, unkind countercultural, counter to the cultural we want, counter to the values we state. And so, but we make excuses for it. We enable it. We, we, we succumb to it, but we don't address it. And so find ways to advocate for yourself. You can do it in an honorable, respectful way. What the enemy will try to tell you, and by the enemy, I mean fear. What fear will try to tell you is if you speak up, you're going to be looked at differently. Hey, here's a wake up call for you they already look at you differently. So (laughs) I'd rather look at differently for the the person who said, Hey, I, here's my, I'd like to sit down with you. And if I can't sit down with you, I'm going to send you some clear bullet points. And I'm going to tell you how these instances are hurting our business. Not just hurting me, they're hurting what you want to do. So yeah, don't be in a dysfunctional relationship with your workplace or any organization, not even a volunteer organization. Don't stand for it. If you're going to get free, this is the season to get free. I agree. Well, Dr. Ross, I thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I'm I'm so thankful because I couldn't think of a better person to hold a conversation with because one, you're culturalist and- you have great solutions. And, and like you said, you're very grown. You lived through oh, <laughs> so much of this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to come on to the show and give, give a different perspective of, of, or and give your perspective of, of microaggressions and having the unfair mm-hmm. expectations as a worker. So thank you so much. I love you so much. Thank you for joining me. I love you too. It's been my absolute pleasure. All right, guys, this was the podcast. I'm going to link where you can find Dr. Ross on social media. And if you're interested in booking her to have her come to your job or maybe um, help help your business out, she is excellent with that. So I'm going to give her email where you can directly contact um, her admin to uh, book her and schedule her. She does travel, guys. So check her out and I want to thank you guys for joining me for this podcast and as always be relevant and stay blessed